facts, candid conversations, and some levity to lighten your day. This is The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Hey everybody, a tremendous Thursday to you, and it certainly is because it's Ascension Thursday. 888-914-9149 is the number to call. We're going to talk about the Ascension, what it means. Nothing could hold Christ back from ascending, not even the debt ceiling. Nothing, nothing in heaven or earth could stop him. 888-914-9149. You can also email the show, klcale at relevantradio.com. Great place to send show ideas. You've got an article, Faith, Facts, and Fun, something in those three buckets that really grabbed your eye. I wonder what Kale's take on this would be. Send it to me, klcale at relevantradio.com. And you can also follow me on Twitter, at Kale Clark, C-A-L-E, Clark with an E. We're going to talk about the uh, owner of Twitter. He's no longer the CEO. He's handed the reins off to Linda Yaccarino. I followed her when there's really nobody following her, and now there's like hundreds of thousands of people following her, of course, because she's the new CEO. But would you really want to trade places with Elon Musk? Talk about ascending to the heavens. He wants to send reusable rockets from SpaceX to the heavens. Would you really trade places with this guy? We'll, we'll talk about why you might want to do that, might not want to do that later in the program, plus a major crisis-averted answer to prayer, a horrific blasphemy that was to take place at Chavez Ravine, the home of the L.A. Dodgers, has been averted. We'll tell you about that later in the program. But let me give out that number once again, 888-914-9149. we got a good one brewing here on the Kale Clark Show on this Ascension Thursday. And by the way, I know that in most places in the United States, the solemnity has been transferred to a Sunday, this next coming Sunday here. But in some places, it's still on a Thursday. It's still a holy day of obligation. So obviously, you've got to check this out on your own. But as far as I know, and I, the latest I have heard about this, if you live in Boston, if you live in New York City, if you live in Hartford, Connecticut, Newark, New Jersey, Omaha, Omaha, where's Peyton Manning when you need him? Philadelphia. Or if you are a member of the personal ordinariate of the chair of St. Peter, these are the places and people that have to observe the Ascension today. It's a holy day of obligation. Now, elsewhere in the U.S., and if I've missed any places, let me know, 888-914-9149. Everybody else, it's uh, been transferred, transmutated, whatever you want to call it, to the, this this uh, Sunday. And obviously the... Um, the Code of Canon Law gives freedom to local bishops to do this, to transfer a Holy Day of Obligation to a Sunday. And you need the vote of two-thirds of diocesan bishops in order to, for a province to do that. And so most of them have obviously opted to transfer to Sunday. I, I kind of like the tradition of doing it on the Thursday on the actual day. And the other thing that's kind of cool about this is that now... We can start doing the 10-day novena to the Holy Spirit. Pentecost is coming up, and we'll do that later in the program, too. 888-914-9149. But I want to talk about what the Ascension really means. What exactly is it? It's important to define what it is, what it means, and why should you care about it today on this 18th of May, 2023? What, what difference does it make in your life? We will talk about that right now on the Kale Clark Show. And if you have questions, comments, thoughts on this, 888-914-9149. Now, what you need to know about the Ascension is that really it's only recorded by one guy in the New Testament. 
and that's Dr. Luke. Luke, who, of course, wrote the Gospel of Luke and also is the author, and he was a participant in these events, too, for, for a lot of it, the Acts of the Apostles, Traveling Companion of the Apostle Paul. So in Luke and in the Acts of the Apostles, which really chronicles the history of the early church, it's been, it's been really called the Gospel of the Holy Spirit by some scholars. That's, those are the only two books in the New Testament where this event is talked about explicitly. Now, it's implied in a lot of other places, clearly, in the New Testament, but in the two-volume set, and they're actually both addressed to the same guy, a guy named Theophilus, most excellent Theophilus, and the name Theophilus means lover of God. Hopefully, we're all lovers of God. So it could be sort of a generic name for everybody, or it could be an actual guy that he's writing to, but at any rate, it is for all. It is the Word of God, and you read about this in Luke chapter 24. That's one place. And in Luke 24, 51, it says that he, Jesus, withdrew from them and was carried up to heaven. And in the Acts of the Apostles, you can read about this in chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. And in Acts 1, verse 9, it says, As they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. So it's a big deal for for a couple of reasons, because this, as as C.S. Lewis once said, Hey, where did the body go? The Ascension really answers this question. Where did the body go? And, and this, is, this is important for, for, for a very important reason that Jesus talked about when he was on earth. This is the end of the 40-day period of resurrection appearances by Jesus. And so, after, now after he ascends into heaven, of course, soon afterwards, the Holy Spirit is poured out in power on Pentecost. You can read about that, of course, in Acts chapter 2. The other thing that's important is that this is the the era of salvation history where Jesus is reigning at the right hand of God. And there's so many scriptures that talk about this. Romans 8.34, Ephesians chapter 1, Colossians chapter 3 verse 1. This is exactly where he is. Where is Jesus? He is at the right hand of the Father. He's glorified. He's in heaven. He's got his resurrected body. And that's where he is until the second coming, the parousia, where he's going to return. And, and in the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 1, these angels say they're kind of staring up into the sky, mouths open. Oh, we're, wow, this is wild. And they're like, hey, why are you staring up into the sky, men of Galilee? He's going to return the same way that you've just seen him depart. So Jesus really said, um, and he warned about this in the gospel, there's going to come a time when people will say, hey, the Son of Man's over here. I just had a coffee with him. You should hear his latest prophecy. Check this out. Or Jesus has a fresh new teaching. I just ran into him in Italy. Uh, we had some fine Italian wine in Tuscany, and, and he's got some other things to say. You're just going to have to trust me on this. No. Jesus said, hey, if people say the Son of Man is over here or over there, you're going to hear this. Don't buy into it. Don't believe it. Because when I come back, it, it's going to be unmistakable. It's going to be unmistakable, the second coming. No one is going to question what's going on here. So this is the end of the actual earthly appearances of the resurrected Christ on planet Earth. Now, if he hadn't have done this, if he hadn't have ascended into heaven, there would have been all kinds of people with all pulling all kinds of new alleged revelations from him. I saw him here, I saw him there. Too bad you weren't there. You're just going to have to trust me on this. But the ascension kind of takes care of that. It takes care of that. Now, somebody might say, hang on here, Cale. Doesn't the Catholic Church say that Jesus has appeared to other people? 
after the ascension, think about St. Faustina, the apostle of divine mercy. Did not Jesus appear to her and command for this image to be promulgated and his mercy to be taught? Yes, but that's a different ballgame. That's a private revelation. We'll talk about that in a second. Sister Margaret Mary Alacoque, the Sacred Heart, same thing. Jesus appeared to her. This is the exact reason that Jesus established a church, a teaching church, an authoritative church, that can be the arbiter over whether or not these private revelations are legit. Uh, <laughs> you might remember when Jesus allegedly appeared on a piece of toast. Oh, yeah, that looks like Jesus. It's like a Rorschach test. You, you see him everywhere. The church decides which alleged appearances of Jesus or one of the saints, Mother Mary, are in fact worthy of your devotion belief. But with any private revelation, you don't have to buy into any of the private revelations to hold the Catholic faith, because the Catholic faith is about public revelation. That's what you've got to believe. Now, I I do think some of the private revelations are are legit, of course, but I'm just saying you could reject all of them and still be a Catholic in good standing. So that's, that's a really good reason why he ascended into heaven. This is the end of the post-resurrection appearances on earth. You're listening to the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888-914-9149. So what's going on here is that now we've got the apostles teaching, they're passing on the teaching of Christ, and the church teaches that all public revelation ends with the death of the last apostle. And this, this is what's known as the deposit of faith. Uh, in Jude's letter, and his, by the way, his name is his real name is probably Judas, but nobody wants to be called that anymore. So he just just call me Jude. So in Jude's letter, it's it's pretty short. There's no chapters, just verses. In Jude, it says, "Contend once for all for the faith, this deposit of faith that was entrusted to the church." And it's a little bit like peeling back the onion. There's this onion that you got, I guess, the deposit of faith. You got to peel back, peel back the layers, look deeply into it. Saint Irenaeus. In his uh, masterwork against heresies, he says, really, the Lord is like a rich man depositing his money in the bank. We're just kind of making withdrawals from this. This is the deposit of faith, and we're taking out these teachings. We're, we're looking more deeply into the treasures that are already there. It's like taking out great big gold coins, and I don't know, maybe they're, they're the ones with chocolate inside, you know, those foil coins. All right, all right, maybe I, I didn't have my dessert tonight. And they're very, But they're very sweet, right? And those teachings of Christ are very sweet as well, and those are the treasures that, that we're pulling out. But a lot of people have, have objections to this concept of the ascension. They don't buy into it. They don't believe it. They don't think it's important. And quite frankly, a lot of people just outright reject it. Even some Catholics try to reject it. Why would they want to do that? Why would they want to do that? Well, let's talk about that real quick. And then we'll talk about also very quickly, what does it really mean for you today? Uh, Stephen Davis, who's a uh, very, very prolific uh, professor for a lot of years, he was professor of philosophy and religious studies at Claremont Mechanic College in California. He talked about some of the the doubts that people have, the, um, I guess, questions that they bring up about the Ascension. And, And the first question that a lot of people have is that, how is it possible that a person with a body can be in heaven. It isn't heaven this sort of ethereal, quote-unquote, spiritual place. There used to be an old hymn that was really popular called All Fly Away. It was you know, mostly a Protestant hymn, but maybe you've heard it. All Fly Away. This whole idea that 
when you die, you got to break out of your body, like like leaving behind a tent at a campground or something, and your soul just flies up to heaven. Now, it is true that when we die, as St. Paul says, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. It, it is true that, yeah, our soul does obviously receive particular judgment, you know, and the universal judgment comes later at the resurrection, but that's not the end game. The, the end game is resurrection. All people, the good, the bad, and the ugly, will be resurrected from the dead. Some will be resurrected unto life and some to everlasting damnation. And really, those are the only two destinations. That's what makes life so dramatic. But that's just an interim state. It's not the way it's supposed to be. And a lot of people are uncomfortable with this idea of an embodied person in heaven. But Paul says, now, people also look at St. Paul's writings and say, ah, Paul says there's no such thing as, as bodies in heaven. He says, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God in 1 Corinthians 15.50. But he doesn't mean that bodies can't be in heaven. The whole chapter there, 1 Corinthians 15, is all about the physical resurrection of Christ and all the resurrection appearances of Christ, including to 500 people at one time. What he says, when flesh cannot inherit the kingdom of God, he's talking about our bodies as they currently are, that are subject to corruption and illness and decay and, and, and death. And they're laboring, if you will, under the power of sin. Now, they can't enter heaven the way they are now. They've got to be transformed. They've got to be resurrected. And this is what happened in the case of Jesus. He's, he's got his resurrected body. He ascends into heaven with that under his own power as God. And then the assumption of Mary. He brings Mary into heaven, body and soul. And she's got this glorified body as well. Our bodies have to be transformed and changed just like Jesus, just like he did for Our Lady. And, and that's how we'll experience, ultimately, the kingdom of God for all eternity. They're just kind of getting a sneak preview of that. Mary's got the sneak preview. And so that, that's what it's all about. The other thing that, that people say is that they just don't, um, they, they don't quite understand the, the idea of, of heaven. And, and this is something that maybe we should explore a little bit at length. A lot of people think that they don't. They think the the ascension is bogus. How, how could Jesus go up, up and away? What is he, Superman? Um, is he James Bond? Is he Sean Connery wearing a jetpack with propulsion, like in the movie Thunderball, and he's just getting up there in the atmosphere? Is that really what it's all about? Well, a lot of people think that there's this sort of three-story heaven, and and this is sort of an ancient view of heaven, and we know that this isn't the case. But it is true. It is true. The ancients did talk about sort of this three-tiered universe, I guess you could say, or maybe even four-tiered, or <laughs> uh, five-tiered, six-tiered. What am I talking about? Well, in the ancient world, they sort of thought hell is below us, as it were, and heaven is above, and earth is kind of in the middle. But then St. Paul says in the New Testament, he's talking about himself. He just doesn't want to brag. He said, I know a man who was caught up into the third heaven. I know a man who was caught up into the third heaven. That was him. And he said, I saw things there that I'm not allowed to talk about. It was pretty cool. And that's kind of a paraphrase, of course. But what does he mean by the third heaven? Well, the ancients kind of thought that the, the atmosphere of the sky, you know, the immediate atmosphere of earth with the clouds, okay, that's kind of the first heaven, if you will. The second heaven is beyond the clouds. It's what we see at night, the stars, the moon, the galaxies, the planets, whatever. And then beyond that is the heaven of God, 
the abode of God, the angels, the saints. That's the quote-unquote third heaven. So it's kind of like a layer cake. A lot of people say, come on, how, how can modern people really believe this? Well, all right, here's the thing. A lot, of, a lot of people do find it hard to believe that Jesus ascended into heaven that way. But I think it's probably this idea of going up, up, and away. But it's probably just a way of speaking so that people can understand it. And here, here, here's, let me just back up for a little bit here. There are so many naturalists out there in the world, and Stephen Davis talked about this, that they think that the only reality that exists is what they can see. It's the physical universe. So they say, look, I can't, if something can't be explained by methods that we know about the natural sciences, if, if we can't measure something by the scientific method, then it's not real. Then it doesn't really exist. So therefore, there are no supernatural events. There are no non-natural events. So they're kind of living in this closed system. It's only the natural world. So if you're a supernaturalist, and you kind of have to be to be a Catholic, you've got to believe in the supernatural. A supernaturalist with somebody who believes something different, that there is something else besides the physical created universe. For example, God. <laughs> there's the Father, there's the Holy Spirit, there's, of course, the Divine Word, the Son, Jesus Christ, who took on flesh at the Incarnation, all the angels, the saints, all the stuff that we can't see in the spiritual realm. We also believe that some things cannot be explained by natural means alone. And these unnatural events, I guess you could say, or non-natural events, like miracles, for example, they sometimes do happen. Yeah, there are laws that that's the way the universe normally works, but God, who created these laws, who created these physical laws, can, at times, for his own purposes, do away with them or contravene them. And, and, and that's what happens when Jesus is walking on the water, for example. So if you're, if you're a naturalist and you think this world is all there is, it's kind of just, this is it, then of course you're not going to buy into the ascension. But if you are a supernaturalist, if you are a Catholic Christian, then, if, then you can accept the claim that, yeah, God did act in his world. He created the natural laws of the world as well, but he can also go beyond them. He can raise Jesus from the dead. Now, dead people normally don't do this, but Jesus came back to life. He was raised from the dead. He's got a resurrected body that he ascended into heaven with. He's glorified at the right hand of the Father. That's not so hard to believe if you believe in the supernatural. And you got to believe in the supernatural to be a Catholic. You're listening to The Cale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. All right. So let's uh, talk more about this when we come back. Just really quickly, we'll talk about what the Ascension really means for you and me today. But if you have any questions about it, call in, 888-914-9149. Looking forward to talking to you in just a minute. explain it to others. It's the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. 888-914-9149 is the number to call. Hey, you know what? Today is also what would have been St. John Paul II's 103rd birthday. He was born on this day in 1920, and what a debt of gratitude 
We owe to him one of the greatest popes of all time. I'm sure he will be one day officially given the title The Great. We'll have to see. We'll have to see what the church does about that. But uh, clearly the Santo Subito movement, as soon as he uh, passed into eternity, people started calling him John Paul the Great almost right away. What's your favorite memory of JP2? What's your favorite teaching of his? 888-914-9149. And this is birthday. It's a good day to call in and, and ask about that. Or if you have questions about the Ascension, today's Ascension Thursday. And I promised you I'd kind of share a little bit more about what it means for us today. We talked about what it is, but really what what does it mean? And just one one quick note, we, we just before the break, we were talking about the idea of, of sort of a layer cake of of reality that people think that heaven is kind of up there. And of course, Jesus ascending, they're looking up, he's hidden by a cloud. Is that really, is heaven really up there? Well, I think heaven is all around us, is all around us. And and Peter Kraft, friend of the program, he once wrote that in his book, Heaven, the Heart's Deepest Longing, which he, he told me I got it autographed by him once. He said, this is my, I asked him to sign my book. I went to a talk of his and he said, this is actually my favorite book that I've ever written. I was like, really? Okay, cool. So I should probably pay attention to this. And we don't talk enough about heaven. We, we talk, a, it's just, it's, it's hard to sometimes because as St. Paul writes about, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it even entered into the mind of human beings what God has prepared for those who love him. Well, if it hasn't even entered into our minds, then how can we talk about it? But we, we kind of do have to, and, and there are ways to do that. And he, he says in the book that heaven contains earth like, like the world contains the womb. Think about the womb of a mother, and, and the child is in that womb, but they're also in the world. They just don't know it. The world is around them. It, it's outside of the womb. And if you were to tell that child in the womb, hey, there's a lot of cool stuff out there, like baseball, Wrigley Field, um, CN Tower, there, there's the Grand Canyon, uh, the beaches of California. I mean, there's some great stuff. The Rocky Mountains. The, the kid can't possibly understand that. I, it hasn't even entered into the mind of that child, you know, what, what has been prepared for him or her. But once they're born out into the world, oh, okay, now I get it. I can kind of see. And Kraft kind of says that that's what it's going to be like, I think, when we commit to heaven, please God, that, that heaven was around us all the time. We're surrounded, as the letter to the Hebrews says, by this great cloud of witnesses, all the saints who have gone before us. They're cheering us on in the arena of life. We can't see them, but, but they're there, and we can ask them to pray for us. We can use them. They're cheering for us. They want us to get to where they are, to, to get that crown of victory. But, yeah, so the world is, is really contained by heaven. We just can't see it. We just can't see it. And so what about the idea of the cloud, though? What does that really mean, then? Well, this could be, and it probably is, what's called the Shekinah glory of God. In the Old Testament, hey, we just finished this series not too long ago on the book of Exodus on the Faith Explained program. And right now we're doing a series called The Biblical Roots of the Papacy. So check that out. We're going to be moving into one on the Holy Spirit, getting you set up for Pentecost in just a couple of days. So stay tuned. But when we were doing Exodus, we talked a lot about this glory of God sort of manifested through the Shekinah. Uh, this is a Hebrew word, glory cloud. And the tabernacle, the cloud is like leading them by day, the, the pillar of, of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night, 
the the cloud of glory fills the temple of Solomon in Second Chronicles, and at the transfiguration of Jesus. Don't forget, Jesus is up there on the holy mountain. Peter, James, and John. One of the places is Mark chapter nine, and then they're they're enveloped by this glory cloud, this Shekinah glory, and they, they're freaking out. They're terrified, and they hear the voice. This is my son. Listen to him. And, and and this is the same word, by the way, that Luke uses uh, for the Annunciation. It, it's episkiazo in Greek. It is enveloping uh, the cloud. Uh, this is the, the spirit overshadowing Mary, uh, the conception of our Lord. And, and so this is this is wild stuff. So this is really divine. And even at, at his trial before the high priest, Jesus said, "Hey, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power." And that was just another way of saying God without saying the name of God. I'm at the right hand of power, and I'll and I'll be moving, coming with the clouds of heaven. Okay, so that's the chariot throne of God, you know, just, man, off-road four-by-four, wheels of blazing fire. You cannot buy this at your local dealership. Uh, and this is, this is the glory cloud of God. And so the cloud, you know, kind of taking him from their sight into the realm of God's glory where they couldn't see him, I think that's probably what Jesus was doing the entire time, the 40 days between the resurrection, Easter, and the ascension. Otherwise, where was he when he wasn't hanging out with the disciples? Did he check into the local holiday inn like like the big Lebowski? Did he just say, hey, guys, I'm just going to go flake out by the pool for a few days. I'll see you next week when Thomas actually decides to show up. Then I'll show him the wounds. No. Where was he? He was probably going back and forth, I think, from that realm uh, of God, the heavenly realm, to back and forth earth. I don't know. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. That's just what I think. And again, don't take that as gospel. I just think it could explain it. It could explain it. <coughs> Excuse me. But I think that um, one of the reasons why he did ascend, and this is kind of hinted at too in, in Luke's gospel, chapter 24, before he ascends, is that whole account of the road to Emmaus. And it's it's a Thursday it's a great day to, to mention this because Thursday is the day that Jesus instituted the Eucharist. Well, what happened in that in that case with the two disciples along the road? They're like, stay with us. Okay, sure. And, and then he breaks the bread. He basically celebrates Mass for them. He, first, he opens the Scriptures. He tells them about what the Scriptures said about him, and their hearts are on fire. And then, so it's, it's the... The, the ministry of the Word of God, it's the liturgy of the Word, if you will, and then it's the liturgy of the Eucharist. He breaks bread for them, and then he, he's gone. And, it's, and a lot of theologians say that he didn't want to stay there physically in his resurrected body because he would then detract from his Eucharistic body, because that's where the focus needs to be at that point. So the Ascension, in some ways, is all about that as well, that we have to focus on our Eucharistic Lord during this, this time, until the second coming. You're listening to the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888-914-9149. But just real quick, what, what does this mean for you and me today? Four things that we can say. And uh, Stephen Davis mentions this in an article, and I think he's bang on. Number one, this means that Christ is glorified. He's exalted. His redeeming work is complete. He can really say it is finished. The vindication has happened. And so... It was unacceptable, this whole idea of, of the crucifixion. It's shameful uh, to the Jews that, that the Savior could die by crucifixion. And even the Greeks, it was hard to believe for them as well. And, and this is why 
in Mark's gospel, it's like an apology for the cross. Like, how, how is it possible that the worst thing that could possibly happen to you in the Roman Empire, crucifixion, they didn't even do it to Roman citizens, and you expect me to entrust my life to this guy? Why? So the gospel is really the answer to that question. This is why you should believe in Jesus. And so the centurion, you know, pierces his side and says, this is the Son of God. He, his boss, Caesar in Rome, used to call himself the Son of God. That's what the divine Caesars called themselves. He says, no, 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 no. This guy is really the most powerful person in the universe. doesn't seem like it by human eyes, but that's the case. And so that's where Jesus is, at the right hand of power. He's to be worshipped, and this is very clear in the book of Revelation. It's clear in the Gospels as well. He intercedes for us. He's praying for you as the great high priest. Again, Hebrews chapter 4. And there are all kinds of crazy religious gurus out there. And this is, this is a, a real, this is again the divine stamp of approval, the resurrection, the ascension. This is the guy you should be listening to. This is my son. Listen to him. Just like, like God said at the baptism and on the Mount of Transfiguration. Also, it's a setup for the Holy Spirit. That's the second thing you need to know. Remember back in John 16, Jesus said, Hey, it's to your advantage that I go away. And I'm like, what are you talking about? How could that possibly be better? No, it's to your advantage. Because a couple things. Well, first of all, you're going to get the advocate. You're going to get the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit soon arrives afterwards at Pentecost. But also, think about the Eucharist. We can have greater union with Jesus in the Eucharist than the apostles could have walking around with him in Galilee. They, they couldn't receive him uh, Eucharistically, but they could now, afterwards. And so that's important, too. It's also kind of a down payment on what's going to happen to us, because we will all be raised from the sleep of death. And, and Jesus promises this in John chapter 5. And it's even in the Old Testament, the book of Daniel, chapter 12, multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to glory and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And so hopefully we're in that first group. We need to stay in that state of grace. And especially that final perseverance is so important. But Christ is setting things up for us there. He's preceding us there. He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And yeah, you may not have the, you may not be assumed into heaven, of course, like Our Lady was, but there will be a general resurrection at the end of time, a new heaven, a new earth, and you are going to have this body fit for the kingdom of God. Now, to me, that's one of the great teachings of St. John Paul II. Of course, it's his birthday today, the theology of the body, that our bodies have a future. So it really matters what we do with them now. We can't be dualists. We can't say matter doesn't matter. It does, and this is where we live out our faith, in, in and of the body. And so heaven's a real place for real, physical, resurrected bodies. And this is the last, here's the last thing. Just as Jesus said at the ascension, we, we are his witnesses. There, there's so many ways that God could have gotten the message of Christ out there. Jesus could have, after the resurrection, appeared, manifested himself to everybody, but he didn't. He, he picked the disciples, these, this small group of people, and he said, you are my witnesses. If I were him, I would have shown up at the house of the high priest and said, boo, you know, here I am. Oh, oh man. <laughs> okay, I guess you were legit after all. But he didn't do that. He, he, didn't, he didn't give these convincing, you know, unre- irrefutable proofs. He did for Paul. When Paul uh, got his 
Now, Paul, as he said, I was one abnormally born. I was born out of time when I became an apostle because Jesus appeared to me, he said, after he already ascended into heaven. So I'm on the road to Damascus, the, the blinding light from heaven. Jesus speaks to him. He knows that he really doesn't have a choice anymore. God could have done that for every single person on, on planet Earth, taken the choice away from us. Irrefutable evidence of his reality, but he doesn't do that. He entrusts the preaching to you and to me. And this is part of what Pentecost is all about. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And that's exactly how it went. When you read the Acts of the Apostles, that's how it all played out. They start off in Jerusalem, then they go to Judea, Samaria, and then to the wider world. And, and they were not they were not trained rabbis. So, uh, so many people have the excuse saying, well, I, I can't share my Catholic faith because, you know, I'm not a theologian. I'm not a priest. I'm not a bishop. Uh, I, 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 don't, I don't teach religion in a high school. I'm not qualified. That's, that's an excuse. That's an absolute. Or what if they ask me a question I don't know the answer to? Well, that's why they invented Google. <laughs> but and even Catholic apologists use that, by the way. When people ask them questions, they look up things. But these are all ultimately really bad excuses because God doesn't call us to be... He calls some people to, to get their PhDs, for sure. But what he doesn't call you to do is to be a walking encyclopedia of Catholicism. He calls you to be a witness. He calls you to be a witness just like a, in a court of law, a witness is called. Tell me what you saw. What did you experience? And all, that's all we're doing. That takes the pressure off. Just, just say what Jesus did for you. Nobody can argue with that. <laughs> it's, it's personal testimony. And so it's really, it's really, really important. That, that's, 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 I think, the crucial point about the, the ascension that we really need to take away from this right now. What's our responsibility going forward? So think about that. Think about that. You can call in, 888-914-9149. Still a couple of uh, big ticket items to talk about. Going to talk about the, wow, the blasphemy averted at Chavez Ravine. Uh, the Dodgers canceled a very, very uh, horrific anti-Catholic event that they're planning on having. And I'll tell you about that after the break. 888-914-9149. Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. so you can explain it to others. It's the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Hey, welcome back to the program. 888-914-9149 is the number to call. To talk to me for free, it's our listener line. 888-914-9149. Find me on Twitter at Kale Clark, C-A-L-E, Clark with an E. We have a lot of Angelinos listening to the program, a lot of listeners in Southern California, LA, all the way from San Francisco, San Diego, you name it. And a lot of you guys are very, very concerned. And I, I heard about this uh, just a couple of days ago. And it was, it, was, uh, it was pretty shocking to me, actually, what the Los Angeles Dodgers were planning on doing. It was a... <laughs> Philip Jenkins, who's not even Catholic... 
uh, years ago wrote a book. He's, I believe, is an Anglican scholar. Uh, wrote a book a few years ago. Oh, actually, it was probably more than a few years ago. Uh, I'm guessing the 1990s. Called um, the new anti-Catholicism: the last acceptable prejudice. Basic thing. He gave so many examples of what's going on in North America. Even in that, at that time, it's much worse now. Prejudice against anybody or anything is not good, but when it comes to Catholics, it's fair game, and, and and that is tragically often the case. So I was very heartened to hear this afternoon, and I just just shortly before I came on air, I heard that uh, there's some really good news in answer to prayer and Catholics raising their voices, saying, "No, we will not accept this." The Los Angeles Dodgers did the right thing. And they have rescinded an invitation to a group that was, quite frankly, blasphemous and extremely anti-Catholic in their views and what they're all up to. And I'll, I'm just going to preface this. I'll tell you what it was, but um, it is um, a little bit, there's some, I'm going to have to talk about some stuff that's involving immorality. I will try to do so in as general a sense as I possibly can, but if there is, if there are any young ears in the room, if there are children listening, you might want to just cover their ears or shuffle them off just for a couple of minutes. Um, and again, I'll make this as as uh, <laughs> sanitized as I possibly can. But the LA Dodgers were, were accused of basically being anti-Catholic bigots because they had planned to host a group during their community pride night, which was to happen on June 16th. And of course, it's still going to go ahead, but they had invited a group that promotes a degenerate lifestyle, and they were going to give them a Community Hero Award. They're called the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. They are not actual nuns. I think that should be fairly obvious. They're called a, quote, leading-edge order of queer and trans nuns, end of quote. And they were going to be given a special award, um, and it angered a lot of Catholics, uh, not only in Los Angeles, but all across the United States. In fact, Senator Marco Rubio of Florida wrote a letter to MLB Commissioner Rob Manfred pointing out just how anti-Catholic this is, how mocking and degrading uh, it would have been to invite this group, uh, not only for Catholics, but other Christians as well. And so here's what he said. I'm going to read you some excerpts from uh, Senator Marco Rubio's letter to Rob Manfred. Quote, Recently you stated that Major League Baseball needs to make decisions that are as inclusive and welcoming to everyone as possible and keep us as apolitical as possible. I write to ask whether your league wants to be inclusive and welcoming to Christians. And if so, why are you allowing a Major League Baseball team to honor a group that mocks Christians through diabolical parodies of our faith? So he, he wrote this letter, by the way, on May the 15th. And he goes on to, to explain what this group is all about, the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. Quote, the sisters, quote-unquote, are men who dress in lewd imitation of Roman Catholic nuns. The group's motto, Go and Sin Some More, is a perversion of Jesus' command to go and sin no more. The group's Easter ceremony features children's programming followed by a drag show where adult performers dress in blasphemous imitation of Jesus and Mary. The group hosts pub crawls mocking the Stations of the Cross and even the Eucharist. So, just... That's what Senator Marco Rubio wrote. He went on to say, 
Do you believe that the Los Angeles Dodgers are being inclusive and welcoming to everyone by giving an award to a group of gay and transgender drag performers that intentionally mocks and degrades Christians? Not only Christians, but none specifically who devote their lives to serving others. Do you believe that such an award is apolitical? Do you believe it's a sound business decision in a city with more than four million Catholics and countless other people of faith? Finally, setting aside financial considerations, do you believe it's morally right for the most important league of our national pastime to honor a group that mocks religion and one religion in particular? End of quote. So that was Senator Marco Rubio who picked up his pen uh, to write about this. And also, uh, Brian Birch from Catholic Vote uh, did the same, also wrote a letter to the to the Dodgers. It's a, it's a Catholic political activist website. And uh, he also accused the Dodgers of kind of making anti-Catholic bigotry okay. Uh, he said this, quote, This award comes at a time when Catholics are under threat across the country to a degree not seen in decades. In the past three years, there have been over 300 acts of violence and vandalism against Catholic churches in the United States, including nearly 50 in California alone. Through this award, the Dodgers are contributing to the climate of increasing hostility against Catholics. End of quote. And also, uh, one more notable figure uh, in the Catholic world who addressed this and blasted the Dodgers was Bill Donahue from the Catholic League. And he said this, Quote, the Dodgers have besmirched their legacy of combating bigotry by partnering with L.A. Pride in awarding this year's Community Hero Award to an obscene anti-Catholic group, the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. In 1947, the Brooklyn Dodgers made history by naming Jackie Robinson to its roster, the first black man to play Major League Baseball. Now it is in the business of promoting bigotry, not fighting it. By rewarding anti-Catholicism, the Dodgers have broken bread with the most despicable elements in American society today. End of quote. That was uh, Bill Donahue from the Catholic League. To their credit, to their credit, and the Archdiocese of Los Angeles, by the way, also issued a statement, tweeted it out. Uh, Archbishop Cordelione, a friend of the program, Archbishop of San Francisco, also expressed uh, his disgust with this. And to, to their credit, I just want to say, this, this is an answer to prayer and I think common sense as well. Uh, the Dodgers have decided to disinvite this group uh, on that particular evening. So that, that's a good thing, and they, they need to be commended for that. And maybe it was a business decision, but uh, certainly um, they ran the risk of offending a large you know, portion of their fan base who are Catholic, of course, with over 4 million, million Catholics in the L.A. area. Um, and it's, it's just nice to see that. It's, it's, it's good to, to remind ourselves that sometimes grassroots efforts do really work, and we shouldn't just say, oh, there's nothing we can do about this, because we can. Prayer, prayers are answered, and who knows, maybe uh, Vin Scully himself, who prayed the rosary frequently, and was a very devout Catholic, former Dodger broadcaster, um, uh, hopefully he interceded uh, as well. May he rest in peace. So that, that's really good, a, a good thing to point out. And don't forget that, like I said, this, this Ascension Thursday is really the beginning of, of a good, good prayer habit for a lot of Catholics. And this is the 10-day novena to the Holy Spirit, getting ready for Pentecost. And I think this is a good occasion to sort of thank God for that and, and how the Holy Spirit moves us to uh, not only seek the truth, to seek the Lord, but to make him well-known and better understood. And again, we can never coerce people into believing the faith. We can only propose the faith, as Pope Benedict used to say. We can never impose it, because God has given us freedom. 
And tragically, so many people, so many groups, they misuse it and abuse it in so many ways. And uh, it breaks the heart of God. But he wants people to be redeemed. He wants people to be saved. That's the only reason why the parousia hasn't happened yet. Uh, Jesus ascended. He has not um, descended, if you will, in the second coming. But he will. He will. The parousia is going to happen. The final judgment will happen. And in every age, the saints are, are the ones that kind of keep keep things going. And, and and the only reason he's waiting is so that people, more people will have an opportunity to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth, as St. Paul said, writing to Timothy. So I thought maybe we could just do this uh, as we have a couple minutes left. We can actually pray together the first day of the Novena prayer, the 10-day. I'm going to add an extra day, the 10-day Novena. It's not really a Novena. It's a devotion to the Holy Spirit, I guess you could say. And there, there are so many that are out there that you can choose from, and you can find them online. But let's just uh, do it by really uh, using the prayer of, of St. Jose Maria to the Holy Spirit. And I think this is a really good one. So let's pray together in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Come, O Holy Spirit, enlighten my understanding to know your commands. Strengthen my heart against the wiles of the enemy. Inflame my will. I have heard your voice, and I don't want to harden my heart to resisting. By saying, later, tomorrow, nunc cepi, now, lest there be no tomorrow for me. O Spirit of truth and wisdom, Spirit of understanding and counsel, Spirit of joy and peace, I want what you want. I want it because you want it. I want it as you want it. I want it when you want it. So, that's a beautiful prayer by, by St. Jose Maria uh, to the Holy Spirit. And, and he, he always used to call the Holy Spirit the great unknown. The great unknown. Because he, he is so mysterious. We, we feel like we know more about God the Father. We can conceptualize God the Father maybe a little bit better because of that title, Father. We can, obviously, Jesus, we we we. we, we can reflect on him a little bit more, the incarnate Son of God. But the Holy Spirit remains kind of a mystery to a lot of us. And, and do we really have that strong relationship personally with the Holy Spirit? I think it's a good time to develop it as we get ready for Pentecost. And so one of the things that we can do is um, tune in. And next week we'll start this new series about the Holy Spirit. You know, we're going to make it really practical. What difference does it make in our lives on the Faith Explained program? But um, let me just read you a little reflection um, from St. Jose Maria's writings on the Holy Spirit. I'll kind of have a little final prayer here. Uh, he said this, and this is in his uh, work, Christ is Passing By, a collection of homilies. He said, quote, Having just read in the Acts of the Apostles about Pentecost, the day when the Holy Spirit came down upon the Lord's disciples, we are conscious of being present at the great display of God's power with which the church's life began to spread among all nations. The victory Christ achieved through his obedience, his offering of himself on the cross, and his resurrection, his triumph over death and sin, is revealed here in all splendor. The disciples, witnesses of the glory of the risen Christ, were filled with the strength of the Holy Spirit. Their minds and hearts were open to a new light. They had followed Christ and accepted his teachings with faith, but they were not always able to fathom the full meaning of his words. The Spirit of Truth who was to teach them all things, had not yet come. They knew that Jesus alone could give them the words of eternal life, and they were ready to follow him and give their lives for him. But they were weak, 
In the time of trial, they fled and left him alone. On Pentecost, all of that is a thing of the past. The Holy Spirit, who is the spirit of strength, has made them firm, strong, daring. The word of the apostles resounds forcefully through the streets of Jerusalem. The men and women who have come to the city from all parts of the world listen with amazement. Parthians and Medes and Elamites and inhabitants of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya about Cyrene and visitors from Rome, Jews as well as proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we have heard them speaking in our own languages of the wonderful works of God. End of quote. And just as a sidebar note, you can always tell who practiced the reading on Pentecost because when they have to read that, all these groups of people, oh, sometimes they say the Cappuccinos instead of the Cappadocians. All right, all right. So anyway, St. Jose Maria continues, these wonders which take place before their own eyes lead them to listen to the preaching of the apostles. The Holy Spirit himself, who is acting through our Lord's disciples, moves the hearts of their listeners and leads them to the faith. So he says a few other things there, but let's, Let's just uh, pray the concluding prayer, uh, day one of the 10-day uh, devotion to the Holy Spirit. Holy and divine Spirit, through the intercession of the Blessed Virgin Mary, your spouse, bring the fullness of your gifts into our hearts. Comforted and strengthened by you, may we live according to your will, and may we die praising your infinite mercy. Through Christ our Lord, amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. So lots to look forward to. And that relationship with the Holy Spirit, we've really got to strengthen it. Really got to strengthen it. And uh, I hope to share some more with you in the coming days on the Faith Explained program. But we're still looking at the biblical roots of the papacy. So at 1230 Central tomorrow, a lot of, a lot of uh, ink has been spilled on Matthew 16, Peter the Rock, the Keys, all that stuff. But John 21, don't sleep on John 21, the last chapter in John's Gospel, that that beautiful, poignant meal that Jesus shares with his disciples on the beach over that charcoal fire. There's only two times in the Bible that a charcoal fire is mentioned where Peter is warming his hands, he denies the Lord, curses him out, and then after the resurrection on the beach over that charcoal fire, Jesus asks him three times, do you love me? He really twists the knife, do you love me? Do you love me? Oh, it just hurts Peter. But he has to restore him. And that's key for understanding the papacy as well. So we'll do that on The Faith Explained tomorrow, 1230 Central. And again, I'll be back at the same time tomorrow, 5 p.m. Central, for The Kale Clark Show. Stay tuned for Timory and the Family Rosary Across America with Father Rocky. Take it away, Michaela. Thank you for listening to my daddy.